If you grew up in the 1980s, then you're pretty familiar with the heavy metal parking lot. You know, guys with long hair, sometimes permed or frizzed, with ripped jeans and some of the girls that they were with. Uh, they both kind of maybe dressed the same, just kind of hanging out, smoking and trying to be tough. What were they doing? Uh, how were they defined? Uh, what kind of music were they listening to? Uh, I, I think heavy metal is just something that was just always fascinating to me. I certainly got into it. Um, it's a genre of rock music that I guess it developed as far as back as the that 60s and, and even, you know, the 60s and early 70s uh, in, in, you know, in, the, in the UK. Um, and then, but, but basically anybody who's familiar with, with the genre knows that it's, uh, it's thick, massive sound and it's, you know, characterized by this heavily amplified distortion. Um, a big characteristic also is, is extended guitar solos, you know, the electric guitar and, and, and these emphatic beats and, and, and overall loudness is really what characterize, um, heavy metal music. Uh, the lyrics and the performance styles are are really associated with aggression and, and machismo, although you had some ballads too. So this episode is really kind of, uh, uh, it's not a, a um, kind of a oral history or anything like that. It's just a discussion of, of, of this type of music. And, you know, I wish we could uh, do a whole deep dive, uh, but you know, I'm not really a historian, and I'm not really that smart. Uh, we just kind of talk about, you know, we like we like what we like, and maybe, and also some things of what we don't like. So, um, you know, joining me on on this uh, little journey is uh, writer Jason Simons. So, uh, sit back, relax, uh, adjust your earbuds, or crank up the volume if you're driving, and um, yeah. This is a very special episode of the Vandal Tron Curious World podcast. Why we love heavy metal. You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Yo, you're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World podcast. This is crazy. How did you, uh, what was your kind of gateway into, into heavy metal? Uh, when I was in like fifth grade, I remember kids on the bus, someone would have their boom box, and they, that was when um, uh, you had Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, and uh, uh, Quiet Riot was big, and you had that stuff. I was a little young to experience most of the Van Halen and their, their, their David Lee Roth prime. But I do remember the, I started really noticing them in the, around the time of the 1984 album. Um, and Jump and Panama and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, I guess some people dispute whether Van Halen is a, a metal act, per se, but, but I kind of associated them in that category, at least at that time. 
so all these acts came about, and then I started hearing about Iron Maiden or, or seeing Iron Maiden scrawled on desks, <laughs> Judas Priest, and then I started noticing Metallica and Megadeth. So I mean, I was slow to coming to me listening to metal all out, really listening to heavy metal, um, but I did get into it probably by. 86 going into 87 I was starting to fall into the the spell and then you had uh, I remember someone telling me oh Kiss has a new album coming out called Crazy Nights and <laughs> and I was like Kiss I thought they were done years ago I just remember the commercials on TV with the Kiss no, this is like new coke yeah. <laughs> yeah and then I see pictures and they don't even have the makeup on anymore I was like oh damn <laughs> wait so you you didn't uh, you weren't you went around with uh, with Lick It Up? No, I, we... You know, it's funny. Um, the area of Connecticut I lived in as a kid, when, when we moved to, uh, to Connecticut in 82, we didn't have cable. So I didn't have MTV. So we... You know, I just had the antenna channel. So I wasn't privy to that stuff. I know my father used to stay up late and he would watch Friday Night Videos. But I... And once in a while, I might stay up late and watch it. But I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't see the, the, the lick it up here. I didn't see the the the, the, the famed kisser taking off their 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 makeup episode on MTV until years later. It was only in only in '86 did they finally dig the lines and 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 we had cable. And then I had MTV. Then <laughs> you got to see these. You got basically see guys who dress like Audrey Lindley and yeah. dancing around. <laughs> and then, and then, in eight, then I started. You know, a year after that, I started watching the Headbangers Ball. And then that's when I would stay up late. And then I really got into heavy metal. That was probably what August or August or September of '87. So, uh, oh, that's around the time of uh, wait, had, um, Hysteria come out yet? Yeah, Hysteria was just coming out. You had. Uh, um, women was the, the first single. That's, yeah, around that time, right? That was the summer of '87. Right there, right there. Yeah, that that August of '87 period. And then I then I was watching MTV fully, and watching Headbangers Ball. So how 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 would you just define heavy metal for 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 somebody who's maybe some of our younger listeners who uh, aren't quite sure about the genre? Well, it's really it's a, a certain sound overall. I mean, although there are many heavy metal bands that sound completely different from each other, but there was a certain, you know, a certain heaviness to them. Um, but there's also a lot of bands had, a, almost everybody had a distinctive look, had a certain look to them, whether they looked the same or whether they, or whether they were unique in their own way. But you definitely had, uh, um, you had the, the more pop metal, the hair metal, and then you had the rougher edged metal. Which one, which did you gravitate more toward? Uh, I gravitated more towards the rougher edged metal. Like who? Like who's that, for example? Uh, I started paying more attention to, uh, well, Metallica was fell in that category, especially back, especially at that, that point in time. Actually, then they had, they didn't even have a video. So it was almost like, oh wow, that's the, the mythic band that's, that's starting to sell. They, they just come off their, uh, their tour with Ozzy Osbourne, they were the opening act for Ozzy Osbourne when he had the Ultimate Sin, and they were they 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 they, they had Master of Puppets, and some many were saying they 
Metallica blew Ozzy Osbourne off the stage, essentially. And that was, that tour, They after that, they really exploded. Then you started seeing many desks with Metallica carved into it. Mm-hmm. And then you, I noticed, I, I knew who they were. I hadn't heard them yet. I hadn't bought their cassettes. I knew a few people who had them. And then, then I started hearing their cassettes. It wasn't until Injustice for All came out, though. Then I, then, then I bought that tape, and then I got fully into them. Yeah, they were they were kind of uh, the uh, even if you were into metal, you may not be into Metallica, because, um, but yeah, you you had, um, I mean, just the names of their albums were were all were like, wow, just fascinating. The album covers, the name like Master of Puppets and uh, Kill 'Em All. I mean, what what teenage boy is not going to be attracted to that? <laughs> and, I remember the first time I heard Battery. That song just blew me away. Um, so what, what are some, some acts do you, did, uh, that you wanted to dive into that you think, uh, define the genre, the genre? Uh, well, I mean, definitely the act that really cemented me getting into metal was Black Sabbath. I remember when I went to the store, uh, it was in 88 and it was around Halloween time. So it was perfect. And uh, I was reading a lot of horror-themed comics at that point. Sandman had just come out. Hellblazer was, was on DC. And, and you, you, you sort of had a horror theme. And I remember I was looking in the store, in the music store, and there was the first Black Sabbath album, the very first one, with that cover, that, gri- that creepy, that creepy uh, demon- like, like, almost like a church. And, 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 and I remember buying that. And I remember listening to that, and and I was, I was like, wow, this is really something. And then I got paranoid, and, uh, and I, I I I didn't get all of the Black Sabbath albums, at that point. Although I would later on, but I was what I had. I was listening to a lot, and actually at that time, uh, the Eternal Idol was their new album, and I knew it didn't have Ozzy Osbourne. I knew it was a different lineup, but essentially, I it was a, to me a continuation of the band. So I got that album. When it was when it was a new album. What what was uh, um, yeah? See, I don't know. Like I I've always had that argument too. Like, you know, those bands like like Black Sabbath, and uh, can you consider that heavy metal, or is that oh. just like rock? Well, they're not as speedy as as certain uh, other acts, but yeah, they're heavy. I mean, that especially you you hear the, even that first Black Sabbath album, even though that was what, what was that six seven nineteen seventy I think. Um, you hear that and it's just heavy. It's heavy, especially the song Black Sabbath. That's just heavy stuff. So yeah, I, I fully, I always considered them heavy to be heavy. It's funny, I got into Black Sabbath because of wrestling. Because the Road Warriors <laughs> used, used Iron Man. Oh yes, yeah, when yeah, they yeah, came yeah, to the yeah. ring. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it was a song about Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did too for a <laughs> 
You know what? I then I got into Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne was sort of, especially at that time, the pinnacle of metal. That's what metal was. And I remember when I bought The Ultimate Sin, when it was a relatively new album. Or it, it, it had been out a little while at that point. But I got it when it was still... So, right. what did you think of those videos of him, like, like taunting that same girl in, in the different videos? <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought that was great. I thought that was all great. The, the Ultimate Sin is a fun video where he's J.R. Ewing. Yeah, yeah. And I was into, I was regularly watching Dallas at that point, so that, I, that, 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 that was even more impressive. He, what was the other, oh, Shot in the Dark, right? Shot in the Dark was the, yeah, the lead single off yeah. that. And then from there, I got uh, I started getting into guitar playing. And when I got into guitar playing, I started buying the guitar magazines. And then I started knowing who everyone was. You know, right. we didn't have the internet back then. So you kind of knew if somebody was interviewed on, on um, Headbangers Ball, or you knew from the liner notes to the albums. But I didn't know who, who were in these bands and all this stuff. And then, then I remember Guitar for the Practicing Musician had Jakey e. Lee on the cover. And he was talking, he, he had left uh, Ozzy at that point and was doing Badlands. And I remember reading an interview with him, and then I started learning more about him. And I started learning more who people were. Then I started putting things together. What would you say is the, the, um, the stretch run of the, the peak of the genre? Oh, probably that... Um... 87, I mean, well, there are quite a few people who would say the new wave of British heavy metal, that early 80s period, would be the peak as far as the quality goes. You know, the early Iron Maiden albums, Judas Priest when they were in their, their platinum run, um, uh, Def Leppard with the uh, High and Dry and, and Pyromania and all that stuff. And, and you know, you, you, Ozzy Osbourne had that big run of platinum albums. Some people would say that. I kind, for me, I kind of missed that era when it was originally happening. So, for me, it was it, it would be that eighty late eighties, like eighty seven, eighty eight. With uh, with uh, with Trickster. Yeah, well, Trickster, Trickster's sort of like in that last that last hurrah period of, of heavy metal. What was their single? Uh. I know they had a song called Surrender. Who, who, Don't Treat Me Bad or something? That like was that? Firehouse. Oh, right, right, right. They came out around the same time as Trickster. <laughs> they were sort of in that last, that last run of when bands were coming out. Like, I mean, when bands were being released as major acts and getting hype. So uh, what, what was the cutoff of, well, I guess I don't want to jump toward, toward the end. So, so we have the British invasion of the early 80s and then, and then we segue to the, to the to the mid '80s, you know, Guns N' Roses came out in '87, um, but also around that time when even though Guns, when Guns N' Roses was was popular, um, you you had acts like Bon Jovi and 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 Def Leppard released Hysteria and, and completely changed their sound, and you had a lot of bands that I even considered growing up as like, oh, these are bands for girls. <laughs> so that, but that's when. Shit got really popular. Yeah, well, you had that run where you had because uh, I used to follow the Billboard charts. I, at that period, that late '80s period, I would buy Billboard every every other week, and then I would actually I would actually do the charts. I would actually sit there with a pad and and not every single album on the chart, but I would do a, a certain 
acts that I liked, I would actually do I would do the runs of their their albums on the charts and calculate points when the album fell off the chart and just have a point system. It was just a hobby. Um, but I could I would see all those acts. You had you had that period in like 88, 80, 88 going into 89 where you had Guns N' Roses with with Appetite for Destruction which was selling you know, millions at that point. I think I think it was up to like 8 million copies at that point since gone on. It probably doubled that. But um uh you had you you had hysteria with like like 10 million, 9 million, 10 million. You had uh, um uh, Motley Crue had Dr. Feelgood, which at that time sold like 4 million, went on to sell like 6 million. You had all these albums. Oh, Poison, the first the first three Poison albums were all multi-platinum. Metallica and uh, Justice for All went platinum really quickly. So, um, so as we get into the 80s, what, what were some, some of the bands that you were really into? Into the eight into this era of eighty seven. Yeah, I, okay. I got into Kiss. I was listening to Kiss a lot. Um, I, I, I did my first Kiss album was Crazy Night. So I got that. <laughs> I got that, and I would I listened to that a lot. I know a lot of people don't like that one, but um, that was my introduction to actually listening to Kiss on a regular basis. Because their original period was a little, I was a little young at the time, so I didn't listen to them in their prime heyday. Although I did get go back and get alive pretty quickly. Um, I was listening. I wasn't as much into most of the really popular heavy metal bands. I mean, I listened to Black Sabbath, who weren't popular at that time. I listened to Ozzy Osbourne, who was who was popular, but he wasn't on the on the level of of like Motley Crue or poison at that point um although he he would have uh, no more tears in a few years and that would bring him up to multi-platinum status uh i was i got megadeth i i got the i i remember being absolutely blown away i got rust in peace when it was a brand new album i remember being blown away by that album what year that, was that one 90 that one that one really was 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 something I got Judas Priest, Painkiller. Um, I started getting to Iron Maiden with, uh, uh, I guess it was Seven Son of a Seven Son, and uh, at, at that period. Um, oh yeah, and ACDC were around. Uh, so it sounds like you were kind of bouncing around. And... Yeah, I, I wasn't stuck in one thing. I never really got into Bon Jovi that much. I mean, I didn't. I guess I didn't mind the the slippery when wet singles, but I I uh, um, I never really was listening to them. Well, I think that's a, a, a subgenre that a lot of people references. Cock rock, which you know, partying, have yeah. fun, having fun, and getting laid, and I hated it. <laughs> I did. I hated him. I hated the band. I thought they were, um, you know, the album before. Um, what's that song? Um, Runaway. Runaway's not bad. And then you have uh, what's after Runaway? 
The In and Out of Love? Yeah. yeah. In and Out of Love is probably their best song. But, like, uh, I mean, I guess You Give Love a Bad Name is, like, and that's, yeah, I consider that, like, a guilty pleasure for me. But, man, they're, just the whole vibe of them, of, like, just, like, all their videos, they were, like, singing to women and and and... and then you had those videos where, like, they were exhausted from being on tour. Like, <laughs> fuck you, man. Yeah, I, I just never got really into them, and I and I don't mind living on a prayer. Okay, I, I, I think that's a pretty well done song, and I like it. And if if it's on if it, if it's on somewhere, I'll I'll listen to it. But yeah, I was never. Yeah, I, I think most like, most like guys didn't really like them. There were yeah. certain bands that if you were a guy and you were into music, <laughs> they're like, "No, dude, you." That was one. Um, like Winger, Winger was well, like you know you'd, you'd, you'd be made fun of. You know what's funny? It. I liked Winger. But were you I, you I acknowledged this Winger. right? Huh? Like yeah, I, no, I know what you mean. Uh, but when I was listening to metal, Winger was a band I liked. I had. I had the first album relatively quickly. Not, not. I didn't get it right away, but I had it, and I liked those songs. I thought they were really good musicians. I remember I really liked the second one, the "In the Heart of the Young." Um, what singles off that? Oh, uh, "Can't Get Enough" was the lead single. Oh, all right. In, in every video, is like he's like they're spritzing him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, then I saw them. They were they were the opening act for Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour. How many kicks did Kip Winger do? Oh, I'm sure quite a few, <laughs> going back to remember that. Um, actually, my first concert, and I was really late to the concert game. I mean, everybody I knew had already seen concerts. And I finally went to a concert. I was already 17, and I saw... Um, what, was, what age do most people go to concerts? Oh, I knew people who were going to concerts at like 13, 14, and we did you know, they were kids and their parents would bring them, but they would go to concerts. Uh, well, New Kids on the Block was big at that point, and they were having like 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds. <laughs> no I, I, but um, I, saw that, I saw that Hot in the Shade tour twice. Could Just couldn't get enough, right? Yeah. It was, it was a great show. It was, it was really, really good. Really good. And, um, Did Winger blow you away? I was impressed with them, yeah. They had one album at that time, or, two, or that's the second album? They were touring for the second album. I remember the, fir the first one has that like alien face, right? Or that, that robot yeah, face? Yeah, it's like a robot face, yeah. They had Winger, and then... They, they were like the perfect trajectory. The first album came out in 88. They had like the perfect metal trajectory. The, the first album came out in 88... You had a couple hit singles off that album. It's uh, Seventeen. Remember that? Oh, yeah, of It's course. Seventeen. Headed for Heartbreak was a big single for them. I um, think both videos he's he's moist with water. <laughs> and then they, they, they had that song Hungry, which actually yes. wasn't... That was with, with the dramatic video with the girl dying in the car crash. Um, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, they, they had a really dramatic, very special video. Well, why is he hungry? For your uh, Hungry for your love or something. But she's dead. Well, it's still want, but you still want the love. Um, so there was that, and that album, that album was a, you know, it was a big platinum album. And then the second album came out in the end, the tail end of the summer of '90, and that's with the "Can't Get Enough" with the with the girl actually stripping her clothes off video. Um, 
which was, I guess, was a tip. It was, was a fairly common video at that point. And then that album, um, that that album did pretty much the same. That was another not good platinum album for them. And then you see the trajectory. The third album came out three years later and just flopped. Um, what's the third album? It's called Pull. Uh, I don't remember that one. They added a little bit more grunge uh, to the to the sound. They that... darkened. Okay, they, I'm glad, they... glad you brought. So, I mean, I think when the end hits, it hits hard, and uh, I, I think a lot of these acts that you see, I guess maybe around in, like in the mid '90s, where they're trying to sustain some sort of uh, prolonged. Uh, Music career. Yeah. Well, Winger took time off. So first of all, they made two mistakes. It was three years until the next album came out. So you're talking 1990 to 93. Well, Peter Gabriel takes 12 years off. Nobody complains about that. <laughs> Peter Gabriel's a little different. Um, so you you had that aspect. And then, like I said, they, had, they, they, they changed the sound. But the sound was already, I mean, it probably wouldn't have done much more if they had just made a straight-ahead pop record. Uh, it the, the the scene was dead. The scene had changed completely by that time. How important was the power ballad to heavy metal? It was it obviously was, it attracted the yeah, girls. Yeah, it got it. You know what the power ballad would do? It would come in as not the first single. It would come in as like the second. The album's already it's had its 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 catchy first single, right. and then you you hit it. You you know, the album's starting to lose momentum and starting to go down the charts. So you release that second single, and but. And, and, what if your ballad? You're a rock band, and your ballad is your is your highest. Is which your no, I, wait, that's, that's common. Oh, extreme. Yeah, absolutely. Remember, so more than words was their second single, or is it their first? I know it was the no, biggest hit. Uh, well, off that album, yeah, they, they that was from Extreme Two, Porno Graffiti. Right. And um, but but nobody knew who the fuck they were. They they actually had I don't know if you remember. But they had uh, what was that? Song? Get the funk out. You remember that scene? Well, I only remember. I didn't know. Okay. I didn't. I wasn't getting the funk out, so I only knew about it <laughs> retrospectively. Well, see, I, I lived in Boston. I lived in the Boston. I mean, I wasn't in Boston, but at that time, but I was in the Boston area. I wasn't far from Boston. They were a Boston band, so a, a big deal was made out of them even before they made it big. They had one album that didn't do that well. They had a, an album that came out in '89 that just kind of. I mean, it, it did all right, but it sort of, it sort of uh, bubbled under the charts a bit. Pornogra- Extreme 2, Pornography came out the uh, next year. And that was the one, Get the Funk Out. I think they had another single. I forgot what that one was. So they had two singles. They didn't do that well. So the album was kind of languishing. And then More Than Words came. And it was like this Everly Brothers sort of, sort of sound. And that thing went to number one, gave them a number one hit, brought that album back to life. And yeah, that, that defined them. But if they hadn't had that, then what? Then what, what would they, you know, they would have been languishing. I knew when that ballad came out, I'm like, these dudes are supposed to be rockers. Whatever, whatever rock song they come out with, it, nobody's going to accept it. But it didn't matter. They weren't selling that well. As, as a, I mean, they were, they, were, they were doing all right. They, they got good reviews and stuff. But they weren't huge. I mean, they were huge in the Boston area, but they weren't nationally huge. I mean, I just remember that like, the rock songs were like really corny. Right? If you don't like what you see here, get yeah. the funk out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't want to get the funk out. <laughs> and then they had Wholehearted, too. 
Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and and then they re-released the the other songs. Oh, what was Decadence Dance? That's the song. Yeah, yeah. That was the first single. Decadence Dance was the first single, and then More Than Words. No, then then it was Get the Funk Out. Then More Than Words. Oh okay. I'm then, sure the, then, I'm then, sure the record label was like, what the fuck? Well, they stretched that thing out. <laughs> they they turned. I mean, they were able to release. They they had two big hits with that with the More Than Words and Whole Wholehearted. And then they were able to go back and... Oh, I remember Wholehearted, yeah. 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 Then then they had Extreme 3. I don't know if you remember Three Sides to Every Story. Yeah, that came out in 93? Like September of 92. Okay. And that actually didn't do nearly... I mean, it got got hype. It got initially... It did initially some some sales off the the back of 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 the second album, but it kind of fell pretty quickly. So for me, metal. I, I I think of metal of you know like the you know got you know I, for, again it's weird to consider a band like Black Sabbath and ACDC in the same breath of like Poison, but I guess that's how diverse the genre. <laughs> well, is. a lot of people would say ACDC was a hard rock band, not a heavy metal band, but um. They're played on the Headbangers Ball. That's how I, That's almost how I define whatever was played on the Headbangers Ball. But also, heavy metal had a lot of like a lot of uh, short stays. Like uh, you know, bands that didn't have a lot of longevity for whatever reason, whether it's the the record company or infighting or like the Bullet Boys. <laughs> they. They didn't really. They didn't last that long. Right. They had a lot of hype. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. The Bullet Boys album came out at the same time as the first Extreme album, so they were almost considered. They were almost. They were kind of marketed as Van Halen clones, as, as David Lee Roth era Van Halen clones. This is this is the new Van Halen. That's 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 how they were almost marketed, and and Extreme was too because you had in Extreme, you had the guitarist, who was kind of compared Nuno Betancourt who was kind of compared to Eddie Van Halen in some ways it, it, no one knew at the time that the lead singer would, would actually end up being the lead singer <laughs> of Van Halen later, much later on um, uh, n- n- uh, yeah that, that's uh, that's a fact that a lot of people like to forget anyway <laughs> Van probably likes to forget that but um, yeah that that's that, that, that they, they were kind of parallel except the Bullet Boys didn't have that they didn't have that more than words to get them to that next level. <clears throat> I just remember every 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 comic book I bought, they were yeah, they the, were on the back, the, the back ad, yeah, with the bullet going through the apple, yeah. Like who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> and the lead singer with that that bleached out that 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 like he had that hair that was he like, he, he was like the, a like the, a the blonde hair was fading. Yeah, he was like a, and he looked like he was older too, like a like a like a like. Sebastian Bach and Tim Curry. <laughs> There's another band that that was like perfect for the genre, Skid Row. And you had the first Skid Row album. Remember they promoted that as sort of like this is they almost promoted it like it was a spin-off band of Bon Jovi because Bon Jovi I right. guess helped he kind of helped sponsor them early on or whatever he did. And 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 they were sort of 
they were sort of hyped with Bon Jovi. Apparently, they didn't actually get along. I think I heard somewhere. Oh yeah, no, he he's was, been on record. Yeah. So there there was there was some stuff there, but the way it was presented was that they this is this if you like Bon Jovi, you like Skid Row, and and even though they they don't really sound alike. But they had the monster hits. They, they that that first album Skid Row had was huge on its own, and then they had the second album. And to their credit, their second album, they 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 they, they did they they took a turn in a different direction and went heavier. They didn't make a pop metal album. They made a heavy solid album. And I remember in one of the guitar magazines, I don't know, one of the guitarists, I think it was Snake Sabo or whatever his name was, was talking. And he was saying that that uh, um, they were listening to a lot of Pantera, who was just they, Pantera was just kind of slowly exploding at that point. And I mean, they hadn't. I, I didn't even know who Pantera was in the. That's that's the first time I ever even heard of Pantera. Um, and it it made an impact on their sound. It was a harder edge sound. And I remember getting slaved because I didn't even own the first Skid Row album. I didn't own it. I didn't own it till years later. Um, I got Slave to the Grind when it was a pretty new album. And I remember listening to it. And I was just blown away. I was like, wow, this is on a whole other level from the first album. This is completely different. And it was it was really heavy, but heavy in a good way. Like a really aggressive, What were the singles album. from that? Well, they, they had a song called Monkey Business that was the single. It didn't do... The, the singles weren't... They didn't have hit singles. They actually sacrificed that. They, this... This album came out. The album did well. It went to number one. It was a number one album. Actually, it was like I believe the first number one album on Billboard using the, the new sound scan system. Um, it 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 was a big out. Al- I mean, it, it did well. It didn't have staying power though. It kind of faded quickly. So it only went platinum, whereas the first album went like triple platinum. So it sold like what third third amount third of the amount of copies, but it was an intense album. I had some good ballads that had quick sand Jesus, but it was a ballad that wasn't like a ballad to get people, uh, uh, to get girls singing along with the Bic lighters at the concerts. It was a dark ballad. I, I remember he was a very polarizing figure. Yeah. Oh, he was. And I remember he, remember when he wore that shirt? Yeah, the shirt did, 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 did a number on them. He wore a shirt for, for people <laughs> listening and, and, and unaware uh, Sebastian Bach was a very, um, he was like, he was like a, like a, like the quintessential metal bad boy. You know, I, I could definitely see how, you know, girls liked him and, you know, he was, he was thin and blonde and, uh, kind of like a, like a, like a, a heroin Andy Warhol kind of pinup model. Um, he wore a shirt on MTV called, and it said, AIDS kills fags dead. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. at the time, I thought like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they're another odd band though. They waited like four years to put out their next album, so they lost all momentum. And then they, they what was what was that even called? I got it when it was a new album. Oh, some, sub subhuman race. Oh, uh, what was the one with the dog? Dog. Like a dog biting somebody's arm. That might have even been after that. Um, I don't know. I, I got subhuman race. And I remember this this took it even instead of going trying to say, well, let's get our record sales up, let's 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 try for a popular they they went the total opposite direction. They went full blow that that was a really heavy album. Oh, so but in a good way. 
Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I liked it. I liked. It. I haven't, I haven't heard it in many years. I'd have to pull it out again. Um, but, but it was, it was, it was a solid album. I thought. You know, an interesting story. Talk about how uh, metal cha- or changes that happen in metal. I think you'll find. I don't even know if I've discussed this with you. Um, there was a great magazine called Musician Magazine. I miss Musician. Because Musician would have stories that, like, Rolling Stone wouldn't. Like, it was a music-oriented magazine, but it would talk about the business. It would talk about... It would go into these... Into, into like, these in-depth stories about record industries and about the record executives and record companies and, 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 and the battles bands would have. And I remember they had a heavy metal issue. Heavy metal is dead. And this was, like... I think this came out in, like, 94. So it was after grunge had killed what we think of as traditional heavy metal. And um, they had a little profile, and it was interesting. It was about Warrant. And Janie Lane told this story about Warrant when in uh, in 90, you know, was... They, well, they had their big album in 89. They had the Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinky Rich, which, which did really well. It was like a double platinum, uh, maybe even triple platinum. It was a big album. had a number one hit, or number two hit with Heaven which was a, a, a big song. And then they had their second album, which was um, uh, Cherry Pie. And Cherry Pie was a big album and actually matched the first album's success. It did pretty much exactly the same as the first album did. And was sort of like that high water point of that genre. We were talking about different albums around that time that did very well. Both of those, their first two albums did very well in that, that time period. Well, Janie Lane tells a story about how the band was ushered into the presence. You know, they were on, uh, I believe, Columbia Records, I think, um, which was under the Sony Empire. But they, they, they were ushered into the presence of uh, Don Ianer, I think it was, who was the head of Columbia. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going back a ways thinking of these details, so I may not be perfect here. But, basically, but the gist of the story is that they were... They were brought ushered. They were a big priority act for 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 Columbia. They were ushered into the presence of the executive, and behind them was um, um, behind him was a big poster of the album cover, and he was thrilled to see them. Guys, we're so happy to see you. He spent time talking to each one of them and telling them how wonderful it was and how they're gonna. You guys are. We, we got a big push, for, and he explained the, the marketing strategy and went into all this detail. Okay, great. The album went on to do multi-platinum success. Two years later, they're ready to release their follow-up album, Dog Eat Dog. Now grunge had hit. The metal scene was dying. But they put out an album that they thought was a credible album. And they were ushered into their meeting before the album's released with the same guy. And they go in, and they go into his office, and he doesn't have their album behind him. He has the Alice in Chains album, which I believe was Dirt, which was the new album coming out. So he has Dirt behind them, and he just says, "Oh, hi guys, how you doing? All right, well, good luck," and that's it. Sends him out of the office. So basically, the first time they were in there, they spent a long time, and he's telling them all this stuff. The second time, he couldn't be bothered with them. And guess what? The album tanked. No promotion behind the album, and that sort of shows you the genre. It's it's just an interesting story about what happened. Uh, was was the hair the the not, not hair not the the specific hair metal? You no, know, talking about like Warren and the Bullet Boys and and all that, all those type of groups. Those groups specifically and Poison. 
Were they more profitable than the the grunge genre? Profitable? Um, you mean they? Well, there were more acts that sold. If that's what you mean, I mean there there were yeah. more acts that were big. So pit them against like the Pearl Jams and Nirvanas. The but most artists. of those act, but Pearl Jam and Nirvana, their albums that were huge, the Nevermind and and uh, Ten were big. Were those were legitimately huge albums? Right. Yeah. So yeah. So comparatively, who 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 wins? But there were more metal acts, I think, that were doing multi platinum albums than there were grunge acts. So okay. it's it's an it's 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 an interesting dynamic. Um, you only had a couple grunge acts that were really huge. Then you had sort of like the the other acts in the genre that were that that got certain amount of buzz. But let's just say you had it was basically um, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. The Temple of the Dog album was pretty big. Uh, Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains. And Stone Temple Pilots sort of came out of that. And um, so you had, what, five or six bands that were that were big. And then you had the other bands, like the Candlebox and all that stuff that were sort of, that, 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 were, down, that, that were down a bit more. Whereas the metal genre, when it was at its peak, it had a lot of multi-platinum albums. I mean, just think, in the late 80s, you had, I mean, you think of Iron Maiden as a big band, but Iron Maiden wasn't even doing, was only doing a fraction of what, what these acts, what, what a lot of these acts were doing. Iron Maiden would hit platinum. That was about it. The Judas Priest would hit platinum. They weren't multi-platinum acts, but you had, here you had Poison, Warrant, um, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, uh, you had... You know, Metallica took off and, 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 and became a multi-platinum act. And by the time of the Black Album... The Black Album, I think, is like the fourth or fifth largest selling album or something something like that. It's like... It's it's like... It's huge. I don't even know what it's up to in sales. It's like 16, 17 million copies. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you had these huge bands, and many of them, you know, Cinderella. Their first two albums went multi. Uh, yeah, I think I think went multi platinum, and the third album went platinum. And then what? And then what happened with them? A lot of them just fell by the wayside. I mean, certain bands survived that that fall. Like like Ozzy Osbourne would continue. He had Osmosis well after the genre was theoretically dead, but he was also Ozzy Osbourne. And Osmosis didn't do what, what the album before, what, what No More Tears had done. But you had a lot of these acts were just kind of, I mean, look at, look at Poison. They went from 90, they had Flesh and Blood, their third album, Ugh. <laughs> which was multi-platinum. And then, was, and, and then three years later, they had, uh, um, they had the album with, uh, um, with Richie Kotzen replacing C.C. DeVille. What's that one called? Um, and I actually like that album. Um, that is cool. Native tongue. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, who, 
Who are some bands that you thought that were underappreciated? I thought the Badlands album was really good. The first Badlands album. And I, I, I bought that when it was new. Based on that interview with uh, Jake E. Lee that I read. And I was like, wow, this band's going to be huge. And, and MTV was playing Dreams in the Dark, which was the lead single. MTV was playing that quite a bit, I remember, at that time. And I thought, this album's going to be big. And it, was, it, it, it did okay, but it, it kind of faded quickly. So they, they, they sort of fell, fell by the wayside. And then they had personal problems, and Ray Gillen ended up uh, dying of AIDS, actually. He was quite the hedonist on the, the lifestyle. Um, and that was it for them. Uh, I thought, um, um, you know, there, 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 were, there were a lot of good bands that kind of slipped through the cracks. I think uh, Dawkins doesn't get a lot of appreciation. Yeah, Dawkins is odd because they're po- they were popular. those early albums they had a bunch of platinums in there and they had the the 87 album um the one with uh, heaven sent as the single that also had the dream warriors and all that well, and then that one that was a pretty big album well there uh uh you know bands that they were compared to you hear you hear about them or you hear their songs played here and there you know like rat like round you round and round will pop up here and there but you never unless unless uh nightmare on elm street's on tv (laughs) you never hear about dawkins but you know dawkins managed they 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 broke up for a while and then they got back together they were never as big as they were in their prime but they kind of hung around for years. They still like to do shows. They still tour to some degree. So I'm going to throw out some uh, some bands or some figures, and, and you just give me share your thoughts about them. Okay. okay. White Lion. I liked White Lion. Um, uh, I always felt that. Um, that they were kind of unappreciated. I mean, they, they 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 did well, but they were they 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 were underrated. Um, I I liked um, I liked the guitarist a lot. I thought he was an incredible guitarist. I thought he was one of the best of all the guitarists that were coming out around that time. And uh, they had the al- they had the big album, and then they had uh, uh, the one with Little Fighter. Big Game. It was Pride and then Big Game. Right? Pride, Big Game, yes. And, <laughs> I'm sensing a, a theme here. A great cover of Radar Love off that. Um, I thought he was a phenomenal guitar player. And then they released an album in 91. Um, I'm blanking out on the title at the moment. It's been a long time since I've listened to it. But I like I got it when it was brand new. I went to I went to, I, 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 I went to Strawberries Records right when it was ready to be released and I picked it up. 
and I was really impressed. It had a lot of musical styles on there. Uh, Love Don't Come Easy was the lead single, very good song. I thought that was going to be a big, big album for them, or a pretty big re album for them. Came and went, and then that was it, and they broke up, and that was it. And I think they, I think they reunited, but without the guitar player, um, which <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. And uh, and he was he was one of those guys. He used to do these great guitars. I I liked his guitar solos. He did that like mini songs within the song. And he just faded. He faded. He gone. Faded. Uh, what was his name? Uh it's like a real Italian name. Yeah, he's 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 a real. He, he's actually I think from Brooklyn, um, or Staten Island. Um, Vito Brada. Yeah, he was. I tell you, he was a really underrated. And in the guitarists of that time period, he was, in my opinion, top five. I've got to say, he was really good, and then he just he gave it all up. So how do you how do you rate the musicians of the metal era? Um, because you know I think a lot of them get dismissed of just you know playing chords and uh, just like you know, a, a set chords and, and and the drums are just, just playing loudly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know you can play drums and keep a good beat. And be decent, but not really bring anything else to the the, the game. That bring anything else to it, or like a really good guitar, a, a really good drummer. Like I was listening to uh, uh, Judas Priest, uh, "Your Head's Gonna uh, 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 Gonna Roll," or some heads are gonna roll. And I was listening to the drums on that, Dave Holland's drums on that, and he's doing some interesting stuff on that. And it just it just brings the song a little bit more that much to another level. Um. You have like guitarists like Vito Brada, and I think what Bruce Kulick brought to Kiss. And a lot of people, you know, they're like, "Oh, Kiss without Ace Frehley, screw them or whatever." And I, I like Ace Frehley too, and and, and and he's great. But I like what Bruce Kulick brought, brought to the band. I like the how solos. dare you? <laughs> I like the solos he brought to the band on Crazy Nights, and I think I had recommended that album to you. Recently. And on that album, he's all over the place with these solos that are like great solos within the songs. And I think that just takes the songs to another level. It's like a, a, a great solo is a song within the song. Okay, here's another band I'm going to toss at you. L.A. Guns. <laughs> you know, they have some good stuff. I was never that much into them at that point, at that period in time. But yeah, I didn't mind them. They have some good stuff. So they were the precursor to Guns N' Roses, right? Yeah, Axel Rose was in, was in was in L.A. Guns. Yeah. Didn't they have a minor hit around 1990? A Ballad of Jane. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> they had some decent stuff. I mean, I actually like them more now. I've listened. To, I, I downloaded a few songs on iTunes. I listen to them more now than I did back in the 80s. I remember Tom said his uh, one of his bands opened for yes, for them. I, I remember, yeah, I remember. The, them. Yeah. The lead singer was a huge asshole. Tracy Guns. Yeah, Tracy Guns. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> what is it with that era of people naming bands after themselves? Like Lynch Mob. Well, obviously his na his his actual name wasn't 
gun. I'm sure he's not in the guns fan. George the guns. and Betty guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Jordan, <laughs> George and Betty guns didn't have him and name him Tracy guns is his name probably like John Wilkinson, but, but, uh, um, yeah, he, he, he picked that name and the band went with that name. So one thing that I, uh, I wanted to touch on is, uh, sexuality and the provocativeness of, of heavy metal. You know, you had Tonic Attain, and, you know, you had this... Oh, the videos, yeah. Yeah, well, you had, you know, this, this I think, the allure and maybe repulsion of heavy metal of, uh, we're going to party, um, we're going to kick some ass, and we're going to get laid. Uh, and, you know, the guys were emotional or tough, or in Brett Michaels' case, they cried tough. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they were all about... A lot of songs were about having sex or breaking up or whatever, but it was very sexual. Um, which, as a kid, I, I liked it. I thought it was great. I mean, I feel sorry for kids now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, White Snake was an interesting band. I mean, they they had a, they, they they sort of spun out of Deep Purple, and they were sort of a, a blues rock band for many years. And, and I remember buying most of their cassettes when the, when the, the self-titled album took off. And, and I remember listening and I was like, wow, I was quite shocked how different they had sounded. And they sort of evolved into the perfect band for that genre. <laughs> and, and then the Whitesnake album, they made those videos and they put Tawny Katane in there. And they had a very big multi-platinum album, a huge, huge album with, with, with her. They used, they used her well. Sex was a big part of the genre. I mean, sex was came came into play. I mean, it wasn't as much. It wasn't. Paul as, Stanley said, "Put the X in sex." <laughs> yes, the X was put in sex. But um, you, you know, bands like Iron Maiden, they didn't really go down that. You, you don't get really get r romantic songs with Iron Maiden or anything like that. But a lot of genre, a lot of bands in the genre, they played upon that. That they, they used it well. Winger. Oh yeah, poison. Yeah, I mean, talk, I'm gonna come over the phone or whatever that name of that song was. <laughs> Rat did that. What, yeah, yeah. Oh, Bontley Crew. Yeah. Uh, oh, so uh, speaking of women, I think the only female singer that really stands out for me was is Lita Ford. Yeah. Right. Well, there was a band. You know, you asked me before, like some bands that kind of fell through the cracks that were good. I there was a band I liked that the head the Headbangers Ball used to play back in '88, and I was rooting for them to take off. And they didn't, and it was Femme Fatale. I don't even know. Oh, but yeah, they, vaguely. They, they had a. They had a um, I, th I think her name was. I think her name was Lorraine Lewis, and they had uh, Ready for the Big One. Which, uh, uh, wait, was Femme Fatale also one of those bands that was advertised in the back of comic books? No, nah, they didn't get much publicity. They were mainly. I wouldn't even known who they were if they if it wasn't for the Headbangers Ball and the Headbangers Ball played their videos quite a bit and they they actually had them on in being interviewed and it was them and then they came out around the same time as Vixen so you had you had Vixen which which actually ironically Vixen uh, got help from Richard Marks for the, yeah. their, their wait what what album. what year is uh, Edge of a Broken Heart what year is eighty eight okay. Wow, so he was Richard Mark must have been like a juggernaut. Yeah, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Yeah, he 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 helped them out on their first album, and he's then in the video. Yeah, he's even in their video, 
And then their second album, they got the opening slot. I feel like up. every time we get together, we always have to mention Richard Marx. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what, music, <laughs> what musical genre we discuss or anything, Richard Marx will come into the conversation. Um, the second album, then they, they went from Richard Marx to getting the opening slot for Ozzy Osbourne. Right. On his No Rest for the Wicked tour. How many albums did they have? They had the two... And then I, I think they got back together years later and maybe put out a third, but then... Uh, the guitarist, she died of cancer, unfortunately, sadly enough. Oh, oh. And then you had um, uh, Fiona. <coughs> yes, you had Fiona, <coughs> who had that video with uh, Kip Winger, where you're, <laughs> you're Sexing Me, which was big on MTV sure in 89. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think Lita Ford really just kind Oh, of... Soraya, too. There was also Soraya. Which Same Soraya? San, there was a band called San, oh. Soraya. Not, not, not the Colombian right, 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 right. But there was a band called Sor- or Soraya, maybe you pronounce it Soraya. I'm not, I'm not sure. Oh, they, wait a minute. There was a, Love what, has taken its toll. What's the... Uh, what the... Precious Metal? Remember them? Yes, I do yeah. remember Precious Metal. Oh, and, and you had um, um, Doro Pesh. I don't know who that is. They were, she was a German female metal singer. And you also had a band called uh, Bitch. And the lead singer of Bitch was Betsy. And she had a couple albums. What year is that? 88, I'd say. Huh. Yeah, about that period of time. This is stuff that you had to stay late. You had to stay up to like 3 in the morning on Saturday <laughs> night on MTV to see this stuff. Um, well... You know, uh, so that that was kind of like a a, a quick Cliff Notes version of, of of heavy metal. I, I, I mean, obviously, there's no way we could go through the whole thing. I mean, that would take several podcasts. That would be oh, we didn't even mention Scorpions long. too. Scorpions. One of the, the I was gonna say in closing, yeah. What what are what are some <laughs> final like what are some uh, final thoughts or some bands that. Uh, yeah, Scorpions is another one I really like. I got into pretty quickly. They all seemed like they were 50 years old. <laughs> well, I remember when Savage Amusement came out. That was when I was in my peak of listening to metal. That was the 88 period. And that album isn't really fondly remembered today as much. But that was a big deal when it came out. That was their first album in like four years. And it was a big, it was, it was a pretty big album at the time. Yeah, I just remember they're all like none of those dudes look were any lookers. Yeah. Well, they had been, you know what's funny about Scorpions is they had been around a long time by that point. They were much yeah, they you're you're right. They were much older than the other bands of that that period. They were they were old, but they had actually been and I remember being shocked when I found this out when I when I started looking into them and I found out they'd actually been around at that point for for like a, a decade and a half. They were around when heavy metal wasn't really even much of a term. Were they just hanging out in like German coffee sh- shops? Yeah, they, they 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 did their first couple albums, I I guess over there, I assume, and and then they they were more of like a cult band until about what 1979 or so, and then they started taking off. Then they had Blackout with No One Like You, and then they had the 
uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane, that right. album, and, and that was huge. And then they I imagine they probably still get paid with that, right? I mean, I, I still oh, yeah. hear Rocky Like a Hurricane. Well, that gets, that, yeah, that, that album, that, that song pops up in a lot of places. They have a, I mean, they're, they're one of those bands that even people who didn't like metal or wouldn't listen to metal per se kind of like them. They, they, if they yeah. come on, they don't mind them. They had that, that quality. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out on on this on this one band. Oh, Striper. Oh, Striper, the Christian metal. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like them? I did not like them at the time they were big. I kind of grew to respect them later on. I grew. Respect I actually the thought they were like a, well, I. I thought they were. Kind I just of like a those, troll. I thought they were like joking. I saw like those yellow band. and black outfits, and I was like, "Who the hell are these guys?" I hated them back. Yeah, when Robert were, Sweet looked like a girl when they were on MTV. I would be like, "What the heck is this crap?" But I grew to like, the, I grew to respect them, and they have some catchy songs. They're 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 good. So that album when they came back and they were all wore denim and stuff. Yeah. Were they still talking about the Lord? I don't think so. You know, the, the the funny thing is, the single, and I kind of I started respecting them around that point because the single was actually a cover of uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Shining Star. <laughs> Where are they from? I don't know what city. I I, I, I don't know enough about them. Not not uh, on your scriper Twitter <laughs> handle. Yeah, but they had an album recently, like they came out within the last like two years maybe. That I know, I and I haven't heard it, but I know it's been it's been told. I've been told that it's a really good album. Like they're still they're they're making really good stuff. Wow. But yeah, I, I, I didn't get it or check it out yet. Uh, okay, so any final thoughts? Any any bands or albums that, that you would suggest that people go check out that maybe we haven't really touched on? I would say check out the first Badlands album. I think that's a good, good solid rock album. I think the metal genre, and, and it's not considered his best album, but the rock metal genre to me is the perfect album that fits that that. I guess cruising in a black Camaro up and down the main street of a city or whatever is Ozzy Osbourne's ultimate scene. Which song? The that the ultimate sense. Well, the, the the album the album is actually I, I think is very good, but but definitely shot in the dark. Shot in the dark is like the, the encapsulates the metal genre in, in one song. Do they have to wear the, the the cowboy hat? They don't have to wear the cowboy hat, but they have to have the that that massive amount of moose that has <laughs> his hair at that point. Whatever happened to the girl? That was in his video. I mean, she never went on. She never did even a movie or anything. So. This, there's somewhere there's a documentary on rock video girls. Because oh. there were certain girls that they would use for videos. Who's the girl now I, that's mentioned in, in the, the Kiss video? Who's like, like one of the hottest girls like in any video, and they used her in one of the Crazy Nights videos. Oh, um, she was a playmate. In like '88, I forgot her name off the top of my head. Yeah, she's in uh, uh, 
she's in the ballad that came off that album. Um, she's and she's in Turn on the Night. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I assume uh, is it Jane probably fucked her. Probably, I'm sure Paul did at that point too. Well, depending on who you ask, <laughs> maybe, maybe he didn't. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Uh, go out and uh, you know get get some metal on. You know, like you know, like we were saying, you know, the the genre is is so vast. I mean, whether it's ACDC or or Black Sabbath, there's also Motley Crue, and you know, if you know anything about Motley Crue, not all their songs are good. I'd say most of their <laughs> songs aren't good, but a lot of it is fun, and that's kind of like the for me my takeaway with heavy metal, having lived through heavy metal and still listen to it now, is a lot of it's fun, and maybe it's not nostalgic for you, or, or maybe it is, but a lot of it is is fun, and and uh, some of the lyrics don't make sense, and some of them are kind of silly, uh, but some of them do, and some of them are very introspective. Uh, uh, I think the musicians uh, of the genre are very underrated and underappreciated, but um, yeah, it's a it's a fun genre, and I think it's it's underappreciated. So uh, it, it definitely is a, a good, you know, when you want it, you're ready to go out and do something, whether it's like a workout or or go to a party or or just go out to the night. You you you're not gonna put on, uh, you know Kanye. Well, you shouldn't say that. Maybe some of you. Hopefully, some you, will. <laughs> hopefully you won't put on Kanye West. But you're not gonna put on. Uh, uh, I can Back. How? No, you shouldn't. You're gonna put on Black Sabbath Volume Four. Anyway, so that that's our our mini take on 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 heavy metal. Uh, I hope you guys give it a shot and and tell me what you think and tell me some of your favorite uh, metal bands and and albums and uh, tell us what we missed. All right. Thank you. Uh, Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world.